Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last time we discussed the Regensburg Council and its resolution in the general reduction of the military. And at the end of that, I mentioned the Swedish had finally invaded. Well, we finally reached that point where the Swedes are actually at war with the Empire, sort of. It's it's not 100% military engagement at this point, but you'll see as I get into it. So the Swedish landed at Usedom off of Pomerania on July 6, 1630. The Swedes actually possessed the military might and technical abilities to take on the Empire, but they lacked the funds for a long war. But Gustavus had better plans than, I would say, the Danish to break out of his beachhead and keep himself moving south to keep himself being trapped like Christian was. His army he had available was around 80,000 troops, 43,000 being Swedish and Finns, and the rest being mercenaries. He was very strained for manpower and monetarily due to them both being costly on his country. And the fact is, he couldn't take too long to make gains in Germany because he had to pay the troops. He did not have the money to pay them for much longer. He was basically throwing a Hail Mary by invading into Germany and hoping that he could take some of the land and loot and pillage a bit so he could make up for his lack of money. This is a common problem when armies are low on money, but they need to move fast. Alexander the Great is a key example of this, of his initial campaigning was desperate in a sense of he had no money, so he had to find loot and be able to pay his troops. But one thing that got in the way of his initial plan was he couldn't transport all his troops at once. He initially landed with 13,000 only, but by November, his numbers had risen to around 29,000, so only about like a little under half of his army, but not enough that... He was a huge threat to the current army of the Imperials. In terms of raw numbers, the actual troops and stuff, that's a whole different story. And on top of this, fighting against the HRE was a different beast compared to Poland, who had less troops or around the same amount of troops that Gustavus had, so he didn't have to worry about being outnumbered generally. But the Imperials had around 50,000 troops in northern Germany alone, with 30,000 to 40,000 in other parts of the empire. So he was outnumbered a little under 2 to 1 with his current troops that he had by November. While they were diminished, as I mentioned last time, in terms of their capabilities and their discipline, they were still a threat to him. And I will say that it actually helped him a bit that he did land with less troops because the Imperials did not see him as a huge threat and didn't respond immediately with a huge army, which would have been a bigger thing if he had, you know, 80,000 guys initially. So... He was able to secure a beachhead and a perimeter in Pomerania, so he couldn't be removed easily. His successful landing and capture of Pomerania should not be looked at as a sign of his impending victories that he would have. That's not how this works necessarily. You can't just say in hindsight, oh, he did it well, here's therefore he'd win. At the time, he didn't know what he had, and he had to work with what he had, which he did have some cards to play. For one, the Swedes and Finnish troops were known as high-quality soldiers, and Germany was less harsh and more fertile than the land of Scandinavia, which meant it was easier for them to survive on the land compared to the native troops. Not saying they were, like, super survivors, but when you live in a colder, more wintry environment, a more fertile and warm environment was easier to deal with. And many of the Finnish and Scottish regiments in his army had also been fighting in the war previously, not as part of Sweden, but as part of other armies. So they were known from before, which gave them a fearsome reputation, and people were wary when they were involved in fighting. Not in a bad way, but it could be a morale damager. Gustavus actually took advantage of this, as he was always accompanied by Finns and Scots in his 
retinue when he was traveling around. He also played up the fact that his troops were supposedly immune to cold, they never mutinied or ran away, they survived on minimum rations, and worked till they dropped. Which was not true, and he did have people who mutinied, defected, or ran away, but there was a certain accuracy to the fact that he had less people mutinying compared to other armies, which I tie to the fact that they are professional soldiers and not necessarily militia or just people who were given a spear and sent out to fight. These qualities exaggerated as they were, could be used to scare or encourage people depending on who it was and what they wanted from the Swedes. So if you were an ally, this could be to your benefit because, oh, look how powerful they are. We can fight against the Empire now. Or if you're against them, it was, oh, can we fight them? Should we fight them? And it might make you more hesitant to fight. Another important thing to note about Gustavus's plans and tactics was his tactics that I mentioned in the previous episode about the Swedish army were relatively untested. They had been developed to fight against the Polish, especially the Polish cavalry, and many of the reforms that I mentioned in my episode were done during and after the Polish war. And in fact, the last engagement of the Swedish against the Polish was technically a defeat, so he was walking in to Germany with unproven tactics, and you'll see how they work out. But moving on from the landing bit, Gustavus's long-term plans are argued a bit in in historical context. Many people view, well, I say many, I say many people, it's kind of cheating. Some historians think Gustavus Adolphus had planned to attack the Habsburgs and take their land right away. But based on some of the primary documents I read and some of the books that I have available, I view it as more of, and the author of my primary source, primary secondary source, is his initial plan was Pomeranian territory on there, but once he had success, he pushed further south, which meant that he didn't initially plan to attack the Habsburg territory just to secure some border territory in the empire so the empire couldn't threaten Sweden. It should be noted, however, that Gustavus wasn't planning on avoiding war in Germany. It had been on his mind, and he had been planning it since 1627, which was around the end of the war with the Polish, which concluded with the Peace of Altmark. And during the peace with Denmark, Sweden actually sent a representative to the Empire to help negotiate, but were rejected due to Sweden not being involved in the war. Which I view as technically fair, because Sweden was not involved in that, but as you'll see later, Sweden did not take that well, or at least on the surface did not take that well. After the peace had concluded, the Danish actually tried to push the Imperials in Swedish closer to keep the peace, as these wars were getting destructive on everyone involved. Sweden, even though they, on the surface, pretended to be going along with it, was not planning on following through with maintaining peace. They kept along with it because they wanted to make France sweat, because if they were getting along with the Habsburgs, that meant there was no other threat to contain the Habsburgs, which is a good political move, as the French would want to see the Habsburgs not in a good position, or at least in a weakened position. This forced France to focus some of its efforts on keeping its alliance with Sweden. Not as close to some of their other alliances, but they had to put more effort into it. Sweden was still planning to engage the Empire at this point, and was just using it as a smokescreen. Gustavus used a claim that they were insulted by the representative getting rejected to the peace as a causeless belly to fight against the Imperials. So, with this supposed insult and justification for war happening, the peace talks slash negotiations that had been going on with the Swedish and the Imperials collapsed, and especially after the Swedes put untenable demands that would basically force the Imperials to reject it. And with that, the Swedes were not officially at war yet, but 
the war on Germany was going to happen. This was actually planned to be right before the landing, so he could move quickly and catch the enemy by surprise. Which, kind of scummy, but a smart move from a political standpoint. I can't knock him for that. Gustavus's demands that he initially had were he wanted the emperor to withdraw troops from northern Germany, or at least that was a claim on the surface. His demands should be treated as more like propaganda than actual demands. And they were sent out through a manifesto that was distributed in several languages and through several areas of the HRE and other parts of Europe. The manifesto was effectively a way for the Swedish to portray how they wanted to be perceived by the rest of Europe in this war. Due to some of the manifestos being older and contradicting the later ones or vice versa, it was a way to test his allies and opponents such as making exaggerated statements in it, like saying Louis XIII could be the emperor of the HRE, or Richelieu could be the pope. He's just kind of keeping on their toes and making sure they were paying attention to him. Which, smart political move on his front. Keep your enemies and your allies from getting complacent. They were playing the game of politics and keeping everyone on the edge of their seat, while at the same time obfuscating their true intentions, which are still not 100% known. There's good solid guesses, but our full knowledge will probably never be complete. Or at least as far as I could find. If any of you have anything you know about this or can speak Swedish or no documents, I'd love to see that. Send me an email. But getting back to the episode, Protestantism was used in a very different way depending on the area where it was. Within the empire and the parts that Sweden was attacking, such invading, the Swedes used religious propaganda to get people to support them, but only in Germany, compared to France, for example, where the manifesto that was sent out did not include anything about religion or trying to protect the Germans, Protestantism, or anything like that. It was purely a political move. Protestant militants in Germany looked to Gustavus as the new savior, especially after the failure of Frederick V and Christian of Denmark. It also didn't help that the Imperials were abusing the Protestants, like I mentioned in earlier episodes, so many people would want to side with him as he was seen as German liberator and savior. The imagery that was used to betray him was a knight in full armor coming to the Protestants of northern Germany. Some of the Catholics, seeing his army, thought he was a punishment from God due to the recent history of the empire. This was actually not intended by the Swedes. The Swedish court even admitted later it was a pretext and not their primary motive. Gustavus even said if religion was his primary motive, he would have declared war on the Pope. This just sort of adds to my big picture argument that religion was not the end-all be-all of the war, but just an important factor of it, which I could never deny that religion is a central part of it. There's more to it than just, these guys are the opposite religion of mine. But for his listed motives that he put out, one of them was security, in heavy air quotes. The Imperials at this point had shown no real aggressive moves towards Sweden, especially in the face of the Imperials negotiating with the Swedes, their army not being in great shape and being reduced, and their navy also not being in great shape. Gustavus claimed, however, that his goal was to take away power from the Habsburgs and the Emperor and increase the, and increase the Swedish and by logic, decreased the Habsburg influence in northern Germany to act as a defensive buffer against the ambitions of the Habsburgs. The funny thing is, initially, Gustavus actually refrained from criticizing the emperor, as he said he had been requested to come to help by Strassund, although he didn't mention that his envoys had bullied the cities into asking the Swedish for help, which was weak because that was the only person that had asked for help, but whatever could get you a war and get you what you wanted. Causes bellies can be fun like that. The Swedes stated that Germany was important to the balance of power in Europe in relation to international peace, and restoring the constitution of the empire to its proper form was essential, although proper here was ill-defined. 
One of the primary writers for this was a man known as Hippolythus Alapide, who laid this all out in his writing. But it should be noted that he was very partisan. So anything written by him should be taken with a grain of salt, like betraying the emperor as the first among equals rather than the king-like position that it was. The book slash writing was banned, obviously. That's what I would do if I was in the position of the emperor. The second objective Gustavus laid out was recompense, which would come in the form of territory. Territorial gain was always part of the position, though the scope of that changed with the military success of the Swedish. The first place that they gained was Stralsund, which by 1630 became a protectorate of Sweden. And when Gustavus landed, he confronted the Duke of Pomerania, who was childless, and stated it now belonged to Sweden by right of conquest. This was based on the idea that Sweden had the right to the land as long as they treated the people humanely, which is certainly shaky, although they were slightly better than some of the other people. But the Swedes also had 30,000 men on his land, and the Duke was in a tough position. The Duke was offered a special alliance, and with no other options, took it, which granted the Swedes command over his duchy and the maritime revenue of that duchy. The Swedes then claimed the right to sequester their territory after the Duke's death, although technically that can only happen if the other claimants refused an amicable settlement. Although, that should be noted it was nominal, they would do it regardless, due to supposedly winning a war would give you a lot more leeway to do what you wanted. The duchy was effectively Swedish territory at this point, although the estates of the duchy hoped to recover their autonomy in time. The last most simple objective the Swedes wanted was to make the troops happy, as they had little money to pay them, as I mentioned before. It was easy to take from Germany, as it would not upset the native Swedes, and it should be noted that the Swedes were not here to save the northern Germans. They were more worried about their country and their military objectives, and no matter what the propaganda said, that was not their primary motive, although he would become the unifier of the Protestants of northern Germany. Ulterior motives, especially in wars like this, should always be thought about, as not everything is simple on its face. Sweden was in a tricky position, as it was landed and had consolidated its grasp in the area. However, it was still pinned in by the Imperial Army, keeping them contained, although there was no real active engaging of the troops. Some minor skirmishing, but nothing major. The last part of this episode we'll talk about is the French. Since Gustavus had been prepared to go to war for years before, his alliance with France would give him access to French influence and money in the empire. In terms of money, he would get around $400,000 to pay for his army and upkeep, but this alliance wasn't Necessarily personal, it was much more of a utilitarian alliance, with the Swedes also having an alliance with Spain, which meant they couldn't assist or didn't assist the French during their conflict with Spain over Mantua and the like, and other small border conflicts the French had with Spain. However, despite this alliance those two had, France saw the value of someone weakening the HRE, who was their main rival, as they were also Habsburgs. So, because of that, the French weren't insulted when the Swedes did not help them against the Spanish, as they realized that was not going to be really enforceable. The funny thing is, this alliance would actually last up until the late 18th century, where Sweden was still a military power, although by the late 18th century it was much less of military power. This alliance made sense from the French point of view, seeing as the Swedish could put a check on the HRE, who was ruled by the Habsburgs. Richelieu, who was not worried about the damage the Swedes would do to the Empire, saw this as a way to hurt the Habsburgs without them dirtying their hands into it. He did, however, ask Sweden to allow religious tolerance in their territory, especially after the peace with Poland resulted in suppressing Catholics in the Swedish-conquered Polish lands. However, despite this, Richelieu's main goal was actually to have someone to control and influence in Bavaria. He saw Maximilian as a potential successor to Ferdinand and wanted to have someone neutralize Western and Southern Germany as a threat. 
His other goal was to also keep Austria from helping Spain, and if Maximilian could keep that from happening, that would put less pressure on the French. The difficulty is Maximilian refused to break his close support of the emperor, which logically made sense considering the emperor was the main power backer of Maximilian to a certain extent, which left Richelieu having to deal with the Swedes to, again, provide a check on the empire. Richelieu, despite Maximilian not supporting him, asked Gustavus not to attack the League troops specifically, which Gustavus reluctantly agreed to with after he found difficulty breaking out of Pomerania by January 11th, 1631. In return, however, the Swedes would get support monetarily and through supplies, although Gustavus had to consult Richelieu for any pieces that could be made. Richelieu then agreed to a peace with Maximilian over Richelieu supporting Maximilian's claim to his electorate, which would mean France would have to defend Berry if attacked, and Maximilian would not have to do the same, but both of them knew this was untenable and unenforceable. But the idea is it represented good intentions of each side, that they recognized, despite the conflict that would happen, this wasn't a personal thing. Richelieu was playing politics effectively, and I have to compliment him on successfully staying on both sides, or at least not pissing off the HRE to get them to attack France. France would join the war in several years, but this was more of a sign that they had aimed to reduce the power of the Habsburg this entire time, and things will be different in a couple years in the war, so you'll see what happens when we get there. So the Swedish war had begun, although no major battles had been fought yet. It had been mostly quiet and been focused on keeping the Swedes contained by the Imperials, which was a long-term mistake due to it letting the Swedes build up their military forces, which will be a mistake as shown in 1631. I'm sorry there's no battles yet, guys, but it's not just a big explosive fight. This is going to be a long, drawn-out campaign. But next time, we will continue the war with the Siege of Magdeburg and other politics. I want to thank you all for listening in and I hope you are enjoying it. Just as a heads up, I will be taking the month of April off to relax a bit. Just going to keep burnout from happening. So the next episode will be the first Wednesday of May. Social media links will be in the description box or the links themselves. You can And you can email me at 3decot at gmail.com. Reminder of Patreon and thanks to all of you who support me. Interview and spread the word. See you guys next time and thank you for the patience.